or heard, rather, is the proper text tense of that, but heard the youth practicing, and they're having church there in the chapel. Our children are downstairs, and we're here, and I'm glad we can have church all across this building, and we're glad. You can be seated on January 26th. It seems like forever ago, but on January 26th, a Wednesday night, we I, I preached and and uh could not finish it and probably knew I couldn't finish it, but preached on offended. And it's the, the trap of, that, that Satan can, can uh, uh, give. And, and it is based loosely, uh, or at least some of the information is based loosely on a book by John Brevere, I believe is how you say his name, but called The Bait of Satan. But then just a lot of stuff that you find throughout the pages of the Bible. And so if you'll give me very quick, I mean, you, you need to go listen to it. You can go and, and jump on Facebook, scroll down to January 26th, and you would find it there. Uh, it's going to be on our YouTube channels uh, that you can go to. But, uh, and, and I believe it may even be uh, on the, the new website. I think the archives were able to transfer over. And so you can go listen to that. But basically, the fact is, is that the Bible says in, in Matthew 24, many shall be offended Later on, uh, Luke says it this way, offenses are going to come. And, and basically, here's, here, here it is in a nutshell. If you're living, if you're breathing, you're going to get offended at some point in your life. It's just how it is. I don't know anybody that can live beyond the fact that you possibly could get offended. And so because of that, you recognize, A, hey, offenses are going to come. You're going to get offended. But then you need to understand how, not, not just emotionally, but how does that tie in to our spiritual life? Multiple versions of the Bible, uh, if you look at multiple versions, it will say in, in Matthew 24, many shall be offended. Uh, sometimes it says, uh, woe to them in whom temptations come, or woe to them whom offenses come. And so you see all of that, and the fact is, it's an offense. It's a something that would cause you to stumble. And God forbid it would cause someone to fall away or leave the faith. All of that is, is a potential possibility when a person is offended. And so we, we talked a little bit about that. And, and, and I want to, to go a, a little further. You know, I think, I think we have, I'm going to say this real carefully. I think we've done a disservice in our preaching because it's easy for us to talk about the big sins. Don't fornicate. Don't lie. Don't, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And, and I think because we haven't done those, we kind of sit back and go, I've made it. I've arrived. But there's a whole lot more in the Bible where it talks about being mean, being mean-spirited, hurting people's feelings, uh, 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 being divisive, you know, words like like quarrelsome and unkind and controversial and abusive and heartless and slanderous. All of those are part and parcel uh, uh, about it. And here's the thing, and, and I'll probably mention it a little later. The enemy is not necessarily looking at you going, I want you to commit adultery and then I know you've sinned and you're not going to go to heaven. Sometimes he can go those little things. I love God. I believe in a merciful God. 
I believe when I get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of people I didn't think were going to make it there. There's probably going to be a lot of people I thought were going to be there that aren't there. I hope I'm one of those that's there. You with me? But I'm convinced that when the Bible says, I don't like you to be unkind to one another, he meant that. He meant it so much that he said, not only do I not want you to murder anybody, but I don't even want you to think about someone with, with an emotion great, you know, more than love. If, if, if you look at someone with hate, then you might as well have murdered them. That, that puts it into perspective. When God puts that much weight on how we connect one to another. And then towards the end of the sermon last, or on the, on the 26th of January... We talked about a, a tree being rooted and, and, and a tree that, that has deep roots is able to survive the changing of the seasons. That even if, even if a bad time comes, that tree doesn't get up and walk away because that tree is rooted. And, and we talked about what it means, rooted in the word of God, rooted in the presence of God, rooted in the house of God, rooted in the things of God. And when you have that you can withstand those, those seasons of life that come because, again, seasons happen. Seasons happen. So I want to do my best to kind of preach part two. And, and, and now that we've identified that, hey, offenses are going to come, you're going to get offended, how do you handle it? Well, I want to kind of get, get to the second part of that. So let's read Luke chapter 17, verse 1 through 6. And, and you can follow along with me. Uh, this is we, we, we use this same verse on the, on the 26. But Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations of, to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one in whom they come. It would be met better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, then you must forgive him. And then verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, um, we can't do that. Increase our faith. You just preached a really hard message. I don't know that I can handle that. I don't understand. Does not compute. However you want to read into that. But the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, if you have grain like a, or if you have faith like a grain of mustard seeds, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now, in this, we're going to, if you have a, a, a King James Bible, it's going to, instead of the word temptations to sin, it's going to say offenses. It might say in the King James, it might say instead of mulberry tree, a sycamine tree, and that's not a misspelling. We're not talking about sycamore tree. It's a sick of mind tree. And I want to talk about that. This verse, and I have preached this before. So if you've been at Lighthouse for a while, you, you, you may remember me preaching a little bit about this. And I'm well aware that I've preached it. And I'm going to re-preach it because it needs to be re-preached. It needs to be re-taught. We need to get it inside. These verses that you may just overlook until you take a step back and understand. Sometimes I think this verse gets overshadowed by other verses in the Bible that mentions mustard seed. Okay, so here it said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say this mountain. But we could look at Matthew 17 and 18 when Jesus has to rebuke the demon out of the boy. The boy is healed instantly. The disciples come to Jesus and say, how come we couldn't cast that demon out? How come we couldn't, uh, you know, rebuke it? And he said, because you have little faith. 
And he says, I say unto you, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, for nothing is impossible to you. Or, and we talked about this a few uh, services ago when I preached on the kingdom of God. What would we compare the kingdom of God to? What parable? It's like the grain of a mustard seed when sowed on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the other plants in the garden. Even has branches that the birds can come. And so sometimes this, this parable or this, this mustard seed faith gets overshadowed by other verses in the Bible. We love to talk about, man, if, if, if you need a healing, if you need deliverance, if, if your arm is broken, if your grandmother's dying of cancer, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to that cancer, you could say to that broken arm, be thou removed and be it thrown into the sea. And man, we could celebrate and have us a, a, a camp meeting service talking about mustard seed faith. But don't forget that God used that same illustration of the faith of a mustard seed to tell us how to deal when we're offended and when we're hurt and what we should do when that happens. He says, if somebody wrongs you, forgive them. And then if they do it again and they repent again, forgive them. Up to seven times. And they said, we don't think we can do that. And the Lord said, well... Remember that mustard seed faith that we talked about casting out demons? Use that same mustard seed faith when it comes to offense. And so it is that, that those apostles had problems with it, and I have issues forgiven. I, I didn't say you have issues because y'all are all perfect out there, but I have issues forgiven. Um, I, I, I have a nature that I repress quite, quite well by the Holy Ghost. But, but my nature is, you wrong me, I, I cut you off. I don't ever want to talk to you again, don't want to see you, just, just disappear out of my life, man. I, I, you know, I, I would love as a kid, you know, you, you look at them and you pinch their heads. Pinch, pinch, pinch. I mean, you know, that's how I am, you know, just. But you know what, probably you are laughing a little bit more out of um, nervousness because you're the same way. We don't like being hurt. We don't like being offended. We don't like people messing with us. And then God comes in and says, well, just forgive. And we can't do that. And he says, well, have faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to deviate for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, looking at verse 15 and 16. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no, excuse me, no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. By it many may come, become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. This root of bitterness. And it's interesting that the Bible puts that root of bitterness on the same level playing field as one who is sexually immoral or one who is unholy like Esau, one who sells out. I mean, that's how much God looks at all of this. This, this poison root of bitterness. When I was about... 17 or 18, I think it happened even before I was 17 or 18, but that's when I heard the message. I got a, a cassette tape of, of Brother uh, David Fuller. He's no longer uh, with us. I don't even know if he's, he's alive now, but he preached a message called Wounds That Never Heal. And, and here I am, 17, 18, got a hold of that tape, and I put it, 
uh, in, into a tape player and I began to listen to that and by that time in my life I, I knew I was going to preach and it's a masterpiece of, the, of, a, of a preaching art sermon I mean if you want to know how to communicate if you want to know how to preach that's a, that, that's a masterful preaching and here I am 17, 18 years old and I could, I, I could appreciate it for its flow I could appreciate it for its use of illustrations but there were probably lessons I didn't quite understand in my immaturity that now at 42 years old I can go back and look at that sermon and realize the depth in which he preached. I, I remember the main illustration that he, he talked about this great redwood or sequoia tree that fell and somewhere after it fell they, they did a core sample of it. You know trees have rings. Did a core sample and they mapped out the history of that tree. And they can show you when that tree went through drought. And they can show you at what year that tree went through a, a good time. And at what tree, uh, you know, it, it went through some wildfires. And it went through some beetle infestations. And they're able to, you know, they showed you, if I'm not mistaken, it showed you like when the Great Depression was, according to that tree. Or, or the Great Civil War. You know, all of that's mapped out. But the, the, the scientists tried to figure out what caused this giant tree to die. And they traced it all the way back to a wound, a scar that happened on an exposed root that introduced a disease into that tree. And even though it didn't kill it right away, years and years, maybe decades and more later, that tree finally succumbed to a weakness that happened by a very small, seemingly inconsequential wound. There's a nursery rhyme that can be traced back to the 1300s, but Benjamin Franklin, in one of his Poor Richard's Almanac, 1758 edition, uh, put it this way. And, and he said, for the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For the want of a horse, the rider was lost. And for the want of a rider, the battle was lost. For the want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. Benjamin Franklin added a, another phrase that simply said this, a little neglect may breed a great mischief. So small things. This root of bitterness is interesting, and uh, Proverbs talks about it, and I think that we have to be aware of it. A, a, a man's spirit can endure sickness, Proverbs 18, 14. But a wounded or crushed spirit, who can bear? Now, now I, there's a lot of ways to take that, but I mean, you know, I'm amazed at how much man can endure. Uh, here in just a little bit, we'll, we'll see the Paralympics go on where, where people are snowboarding with, with, you know, missing a leg. I watched a guy uh, on, on YouTube or something the other day, and I think he's going to be competing in these Paralympics, but he literally is, he, 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 he stops about where his waist is. But he can lift, I think, 600 pounds or, or whatever that is. Maybe that's too much, but, but in my mind, that's what it was. It was an amazing amount. People can endure a lot of sickness. But when their spirit's wounded, when their spirit's crushed, that's, what, that, that's where the, 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 who can bear that. And so I think part of it is don't crush somebody's spirit. Don't wound somebody's spirit. But the other aspect of that is what do you do when you have a wounded spirit? Proverbs 17.22 continues that a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Going back to that, that root of bitterness, Song of Solomon, catch the foxes for us, those little foxes that spoil the vineyards for our vineyards or in blossom. It's those small foxes that spoil. 
small things. Again, the devil doesn't have to go nuclear on you and I. The devil doesn't have to just throw the biggest and most horrible sin around to derail you. He, he doesn't have to you know, throw that. He just sometimes knows how to capitalize or slip on some seemingly small thing and then boom, it's over. It's the lesson from the three Hebrew children. Go back to Benjamin Franklin, the almanac for the want of a horseshoe nail. Here's the lessons that you can learn from the three Hebrew children. If you notice, they tried to change the three Hebrew children's name. If they can change your name, they'll change your diet. They wanted the three Hebrew children to eat a different food. If they can change your diet, they'll probably try to change your dress. If they can change your dress, they can probably try to change your worship. If they can change your worship, then they've changed your God. Starts small, those small things. And so Luke 17, 1 through 6 comes back and Jesus begins to teach his disciples about bitterness and unforgiveness. And he likens them to a sycamine tree. Again, some of your Bibles may say mulberry, and, but it's a sycamine tree. Now I'm, I, I believe, and as far as the study that I've found, a sycamine tree was a type of a fig tree. Very common in those days. There were multiple ty- kinds of fig trees. Uh, when, when it says mulberry, don't think of the Missouri mulberry tree. That's probably not at all what it was. It was a mulberry fig. But everything that Jesus was trying to tell them about offenses, he links to this sycamine tree, and he uses the sycamine tree, this, this mulberry tree, he uses it as an example of, of bitterness and unforgiveness. And then later he says, if you'll just have a faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say. What Jesus was speaking of was, how do you get rid of bitterness? How do you get rid of unforgiveness? And so he, he tells them, you got to forgive them up to seven times a day. He goes even further at some point. He said, forgive them 70 times seven, 490 times. And I don't know if that's a day or a year or a week, but that's a lot of times. Forgiving, and and, and this is just human nature, forgiving somebody once is a challenge for most people. Imagine forgiving them seven times that day for the same offense. It's a little bit harder. Come in. They don't want to come in. I promise you when Jesus said it, just as I might say it now, it would seem preposterous to you and I because when is the last time? I want you to think about it. Don't raise your hand. You don't have to give me an answer. But think about it. When is the last time you legitimately talked to someone and had a conversation with someone and truly forgave someone seven times in one day. Now here's the thing. We're not talking about just saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. That's not, that's not even how forgiveness works, by the way. Okay? Forgiveness requires there to be a, a repentance so forgiveness requires someone to come and say, I've hurt, I've, I did something wrong, I'm sorry. And you have to accept that apology, accept that repentance, and forgive. 
And you can't, there is no uh, 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 human forgiveness versus divine forgiveness. And there is no American humanity forgiveness versus God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is the same in every culture. It's the same divine. It's the same human. And the fact is God equates forgiveness with forgiving and forgetting. Did y'all catch that? So when we forgive, we ought to emulate the one who forgave us. We forgive and we forget. And you do that. Can you imagine having a conversation? Because that's what real forgiveness and apologies are. Someone comes and hurts you and then they come and they apologize and you forgive them. I, that conversation's got to be hard enough in, all, in, 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 in what it does. And then they come back and they do it again. And then they come back and they have that same conversation. I'm sorry, I messed up again. I, I, forgive me and you forgive them. And, then, and you do that seven times. I mean, for, for, for in, in a sense, that's, if you think about a work day, that's, that's basically once an hour that they would, you would have that conversation, go through that. And they said, Lord, we can't handle that. Increase our faith. We don't have enough faith to forgive that many times in one day. You're going to have to show us. And so God says, all right, I'm going to show you. I'm going to use this, this parable. If you have faith, a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to that sycamine tree, be uprooted, be thrown into the sea, and it would go. And basically it's Jesus giving the, the parable of the equivalent that bitterness and unforgiveness is like the sycamine tree. And if you really want to be free of those attitudes, if you really want to be free of that restriction, then you've got to have faith that you can speak to that menacing growth in your life and say, in the name of Jesus, be cast out, leave my presence, and it will happen. Again, Jesus doesn't say things uh, by accident, he uses this particular tree. He didn't say an oak tree or an apple tree or a palm tree. He said a sycamine tree or a mulberry tree. And so I begin to research some of this. The sycamine tree, according to, to, to some of the biblical scholars, was a tree that had an incredibly deep root system. It was a tree that would grow and it was robust. It would reach a height of 30 feet or so. But, but, but his, the roots would go sometimes even deeper down than it grew high. Because its roots went deep down into the earth, it, it sucked moisture from a depth that other things could not reach. And so it would last through the blistering, scorching summers. It would last uh, through, through times of drought because it had tapped into a source Low and deep and you could cut that tree down but just cutting that tree down did not guarantee that that tree would die again because it had a deep root system and it would, it would keep resurfacing and it would keep regrowing. In effect, the sycamine tree was a difficult tree to eradicate. I think that's why Jesus chose to talk about bitterness and offense like that is because if we're not careful going back to, to Hebrews, that root of bitterness can get pretty deep. That root of bitterness can deep, get, get down in, in levels you hadn't thought about for a while. It goes deep down into the, the human soul and the human psyche and it feeds off of offenses that lie deep within the soil of your heart. And, and, and you can come to an altar and you can pray through, if you will, and you can think you've cut it off and then you leave and if you're not careful, it sprouts back up. 
It, it, it has a way of showing its face at, at random times and that hidden source of offense will cause it to come back over and over and over again and it takes a very serious person to take time to eradicate that root of bitterness. They say that these sycamine trees grow real good in places where little rain falls and water is sparse. Somebody said it this way, one writer, he said, isn't it just like bitterness and unforgiveness that these negative attitudes flourish where spiritually dry conditions exist? That you can almost count on finding bitterness, and again, I'm still quoting, you can almost count on finding bitterness and unforgiveness growing and blossoming where there's no repentance, no joy, and no fresh rain of the Spirit. And I will tell you, in my life, that's true. And so it is that I would stress to you today that you have to understand those bitter roots go deep. And it's not going to be just a quick pruning that's going to make it better. It might feel good for a while, but it's always going to come back. The second interesting thing about a sycamine tree, and, and I know that, that, that sometimes in our Bible it, it, it uses sycamine and mulberry uh, simultaneously, but when I've, when I've studied it and, and got deep, the sycamine and the mulberry were actually two different trees. They're both fig trees, but they're two totally different trees. They, they belong to the same family. But there's some differences, and that is that the mulberry tree, uh, as a fig, and again, please don't think of it as a Missouri mulberry tree. Think of it as a fig tree. A mulberry fig tree, the fruit was luscious. It was delicious. It was something that, that would have been a delicacy. It would have been uh, on, the, on the top shelf of the produce stores. I mean, that's what you wanted. Whereas the sycamine fig, it was a fig. But, but maybe I could do it like this. How many of you have ever ate a delicious apple? Okay. How many of you have ever eaten a crab apple? They belong to the same family. But a crab apple is totally different. Crab apples are small, shriveled, shrunken, and they're really tart. They're, 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 they're not real good to eat. Now, I'll tell you what they're really good at is, but, but then it goes against the message that I'm preaching, but they're really good at throwing at people. But that goes against the message that I'm preaching. So, so think of it like that. The crab apple versus a good apple is the same with a sycamine fig versus a, a, a good fig. And that is the case, that the, the sycamine fig was the crab apple fig of, of the family. Everybody kind of understand where I'm going? So because of that, Whereas the mulberry fig was a delicious fig, the sycamine fig was, was tart. It was bitter when you would taste it. A mulberry fig was expensive. And so not just anyone could go grab mulberry figs on a regular basis. It was expensive. And so primarily only the wealthy got to eat the mulberry figs. But the sycamine fig was cheap. The sycamine fig you could find anywhere. And so poorer people could get it. And and just like all of us have done, you can put enough sugar on something, I guess, after a while, and, and it, it tastes good. But you have to doctor it up, and by the time you're done, not quite sure it's still a fig anymore. One researcher and, 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 and Bible scholar I was reading said that sycamine fig was so bitter 
no one could hardly ever eat one whole. They'd eat it one bite here, nibble it here. You got to kind of let your mouth quit puckering and let all the pain sensors and, 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 and bitter sensors in your face kind of go back to normal. And then you could get a little bit, little bit less. And so you probably would never devour it in one time. It was too tart, too pungent. You'd just come back. Could it be that Jesus was letting us know that just like that fruit, bitterness is the same way. It's bitter, it's tart, it's, it's pungent. And people who are bitter, people who are, are filled with unforgiveness have, have this way of chewing on their feelings for a long time. Just a little nibble here, and then tomorrow another little nibble, and then another little nibble They'll pause to digest what they've eaten when they've reflected deeply on the hurt, when they've reflected deeply on the offense, then they return back to that memory and they nibble at it a little more and a little more. One bite, then another little bite, then another. And that perpetual nibbling on a fence, that perpetual nibbling on the hurt, that perpetual nibbling coming back over and over to the poisonous fruit of bitterness makes it not just the fact that what they're eating is bitter, but it actually creates within us bitter, sour spirits. And so it is that I think the Lord was pointing that tree out for a reason. The fourth thing is, and this is not native only to the sycamine tree, it's actually something that every fig tree, so if you've got a, 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 a fig tree, a, a naturally pollinated fig tree, there's something very interesting about figs. Everything else that's pollinated is pollinated by some insect, a bee or something, going into the flower and, and, and sucking up some nectar and in doing so rubbing up against the pollen uh, of, of, of that flower and then flying over to another flower and, and getting nectar out of that flower and, and by being in that flower the pollen it collected from the previous flower rubs off and pollinates and that's the normal way that most things are pollinated but not so as wasps. If you want to dive down an interesting study, go study the reproductive cycle of a fig tree. It's a little weird. But a, a fig tree, the sycamine tree, is not naturally pollinated. At least not the way we think. A fig is truly pollinated. And this happens in the fig trees down south. And it happens here. A fig tree is, is, is pollinated. The pollination process is initiated when a certain wasp puts its stinger into the fruit and the tree and, and there's a whole biological thing that happens. But when that fruit is stung, then it reproduces. How many times have you heard, maybe you've even said it, heard a bitter person say, I've been stung before. I'm not going to be stung again. He hurt me so badly. She hurt me so badly that I'm not going to get close enough for them to sting me Again, while I understand part of that, you're not supposed to be a punching bag. You don't have to hang out where people are, are hurting you. But most likely people that make those statements are people who have been stung by a situation. And the devil uses that stinging. The devil uses that, 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 that issue to pollinate their hearts and their souls with bitterness and unforgiveness. And so it is that. This tree with its deep root system, with its bitter fruit, pollinated by injury, 
The Lord said that's what bitterness and unforgiveness is like. And then he says, now, if you want to get out from underneath the shadow of that tree, all you got to do is have faith the size of a mustard seed. That mustard seed, very small. By using this, the Lord is looking at you and I, telling you and I that you don't have to have a Ph.D. in theology to let God heal. You don't have to go to church for hours and days on end. You don't even have to pray and fast 24 days in a row in order for this to happen. The Lord is saying any person that has even the tiniest amount of faith has the ability and the authority to speak to a life of bitterness and unforgiveness and say, I'm done with that, if it's truly the desire of your heart. So, so what is it? Do, do you genuinely desire to live a life free from that bitterness, that unforgiveness? Is that what you would like to do, that, that you've allowed it maybe through, through life, through circumstances, that that bitterness and that hurt is festered in your soul for so long? But, but you have to get to the place. Are you really willing to take a, a time to remove it? It's going to take time to remove those roots that have gone down deep. You're going to have to explore some places that maybe you didn't want to explore. You're going to have to take some time to quit nibbling on it. Quit partaking of it. You're going to have to allow those stings and those wounds to not be around. If you are, God says you can do so. Luke 17, let's read it again. Luke 17, 1. Temptations to sin are sure to come. Again, this, the, the King James uses offenses. But woe to the one in whom they come. It would be better for the one who offends people. It would be better for him if a giant rock was tied around his neck and he tossed into the sea than to offend somebody. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, if your brother offends you, if your brother does that, that, that stings you, rebuke him, tell him, hey, that's not right. That hurt. You, 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 you've wounded me. You've you got to be willing to do that. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you, what do you mean sin? If he offends you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Lord, increase our faith. And he tells the story. It's Matthew 18, 21. And I don't know that it's necessarily connected. It could be, but he, he does it differently. Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, if my brother offends me, if my brother sins against me, and I forgive him as many as seven times, and Jesus says, and really the, the, the translators and all of the, the people, they're a little confused. Some, some Bibles will say 77 times. Other Bibles will say seven times 70, which is 490. Guess what? I don't care if it's seven times. I don't care if it's 70 times. I don't care if it's 490 times. Chances are none of us have done that ever in our life. So the Lord is, is saying, I, I, I want you to put the focus on forgiving. He, he goes on to say after those seven times 70 or, or maybe in your English standard it says 77 times. He says, let me tell you another story. Verse 23, Matthew 18. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
And so he brings one who owed him 10,000 talents. And, and that's a lot of money, by the way. The, the old, uh, uh, old Testament talent was 75 pounds. So a talent of silver was 75 pounds. Um, a, a talent there in, in the New Testament represented an, an exorbitant sum. So this servant owed him 10,000 talents. Couldn't pay it. And so the master ordered him to be sold. Said, I'm going to sell you, your wife, and your children, and all that you have, and that's going to be your payment. And the servant falls on his knees, implores him, and says, have patience with me. I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master releases him and forgives him of that debt, that 10,000 talent debt. Then he uh, goes out. And, and in doing so, he finds that, that same servant that just got forgave, forgiven of, of that 10,000 talent debt. He goes and he finds one of his fellow, ser, fellow servants. And there he gives a hold of that fellow servant who owes him, uh, uh, who, who owes him 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii, so, so I knew I had it in my Bible. So you ready for this? I wrote this down in my Bible. 10,000 talents is equal to 200 years of, of an average salary of that time. So uh, according to, to Bible scholars, 20 talents was a year's salary. So we're talking, we're talking 200 years worth of salary. So whatever you make right now, put, put a mental, whatever your take-home pay is this year, times that by 2,000, that's how much they owed. That's a lot of money. But a denarii... A denarii is a day's wage. And so this one who just got forgiven of, of, a, of 200 years of, of annual salary debt goes and grabs a hold of his friend who owes him 100 days worth of pay. Now that's a lot of money. I mean, that, that, that's no, nothing to sneeze at, but it's not 200 years worth. And he seizes him, and he begins to choke him. I mean, the Bible's not mincing words. I mean, he grabbed a hold of them, and he's choking him, and he says, Pay me what you owe. I need that hundred, thou, or that hundred uh, days wages. Pay me right now. And that fellow servant pleaded and said, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you. It sounds real familiar, what the other guy said to his master. And that man refused and put him in prison that he should pay his debt. And when... The other servants saw what had taken place. They were greatly distressed. They went, they reported to their master, and they, they told everything that had happened. They said, look, we, we don't know what happened. Man, he just put that dude in jail. And the master summoned him, verse 32, and said, I forgave you all of that debt because you asked me to. You pleaded with me. You said you couldn't afford it. You couldn't make the payment. It was bigger than you. And yet you didn't have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And so in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. I'll help you out. The first man that owed 100 days worth probably got out of jail. The one who owed 200 years worth of wages never saw the light of day again. And so verse 35, also my heavenly father will do every one to you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
tell you right now, the Bible, the Bible's, at the end of the day, the Bible's real easy to understand. It might be, might be hard to put in practice. It might be hard to swallow. I get all of that. But at the end of the day, it's really simple. If you want to live free from bitterness and offense, you must forgive. Can I just, the reason I forgive is because Jesus has forgiven me. I have a lot of, of rough edges. You can ask anybody that knows me. I'm not perfect, and I would never say him, but I, there's one thing I can do. I can forgive. Brother Harpole, I'm still working on a lot of stuff, but I have learned that lesson. You know why? Because I can't tell you how many times I've walked to an altar for the same thing and ask God to forgive me. Come back to the altar every Sunday. God, it's me again. And you know what I've learned? God's right there to forgive. I mean, if anybody could be bitter, God could be pretty bitter at me. But I forgive because Jesus has forgiven me. And I'll tell you, he's probably forgiven me more than 490 times for the same offense. Chances are he might have done the same for you. That's why Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians, and, and, and I don't have it in the English Standard, I read it from the King James, and I also read it from the New Living Translation. He says, so, so contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps one should be swallowed up with much sorrow. New, King, or New Living Translation says it's time to forgive and to comfort him. Who is him? The one that's hurt you. It's where Psalms 147.3, who is talking about the Messiah, who, who it's a mess, messianic uh, uh, psalm, but I think it also needs to go for us because if we're going to be like Jesus, it says he bindeth up the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Reminds me of the Good Samaritan where Jesus goes to him and binds his wounds and pours in oil and wine, sits him on his own beast, brings him to an end and takes care of the one who had been wounded. As we stand today, I invite you to go and, and, and revisit the message from, from uh, January 26 because that's more of a pre, pre, preventative cure. That, that if, you'll, if you'll just follow some of the things we, we learned about in the Word of God, it'll prevent you from offending someone. It will prevent you from, from, from causing them bitterness. But today's a little bit more about what if you've experienced that. The first thing you need to understand is that those roots go real deep. And you're going to have to get honest and you're going to have to get serious that if you're going to do it, you're going to take care of all those roots that go down. Because you don't want anything in your life that will spring up later and bring that all back. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm glad the Lord doesn't do that to me. I'm glad the Lord doesn't wake me up in the middle of the night and goes, you know, I was thinking. I know you've, I know you've repented of it, but do you remember back in 1998? Do you remember what you did? I'm glad he doesn't think that way. And so I've prayed and I've made it my desire, Lord, don't let me think that way. If someone's repented, I've got to forgive them. And if they hurt me again, well, the Bible tells me seven times a day. Another place he says at least 77 times. And then another place it could possibly be 490 times. So 
got my work cut out. And I'm going to forgive. And I'm not going to nibble on that fruit, that bitter fruit. I'm not going to keep hashing it. I'm not going to keep having them for lunch. I'm not going to keep bringing it back. I don't need that. I will find something better. The fruit of the Spirit probably would be a better uh, meal to have. And then I'm going to I'm going to make sure that, that I take care of it. I wonder if we could just close our eyes. I don't know where or if the Lord is speaking to you at all. But if He is, I wonder for just a moment as we conclude with this prayer. Why don't you just let the Lord speak. Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, so many times we've been stung. So many times we've, we've allowed that, that bitter fruit to be what we partake of. We've allowed those roots to grow deep and, 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 and reach down. But Lord, today I'm asking that we could do as you've said in the Gospels. Give us faith to uproot that tree of bitterness that goes so deep. Lord, I'm praying right now that you would allow us to to not partake of that bitter fruit, but instead partake of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. To do what, what they said in the epistles, whatsoever things are pure and honest and holy, think on those things. Lord, I'm asking that you would change the way I think. Lord, that you would not let me, when I'm stung, don't let that grow, don't let that, that turn into that, that fruit and, that, and then of course the fruit creates the tree and the tree creates the root of bitterness Lord I'm asking right now that you would help us to love and live like you the reason I forgive is because you've forgiven me the reason I love is because you have loved me the reason I care is because you have cared for me and I don't want to just be like you in some things I want to be like you in all things so I'm going to forgive because you have forgiven me. Lord, help us receive this. Help us receive this word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.